Welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives. I'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur, Andrew Uderi. Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. And today going to be picking up the conversation where we left off last episode talking about SEO. More specifically, last week we were talking about kind of on-page optimization. How can you optimize your, your meta titles and your content to, to rank more effectively? Today, we're going to be transitioning to talk more about internal linking, site structure, and technical aspects of SEO. And joining me to impart all of his hard-learned wisdom is Mr. Jeff Oxford from 180marketing.com and linkhunter.com. Jeff, welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being willing to come on and doing a, a bunch of legwork on the e-commerce fuel site. It's been cool watching you you go to work. So today, internal linking. I'm just going to dive right into this for people who don't know what what that means. What does internal linking mean, and why is it powerful? So with internal linking, the reason it's talked about so much is if you go way back to what made Google so popular is their their page rank algorithm, and basically what they did that no one else really did is they use the metric to see, you know, how many websites are linking to your website or how many pages are linked to your pages and then kind of measuring the flow of this page rank throughout your website. So your home page is typically going to have the highest page rank score and then category pages will be a little lower and your product pages will be a little, little, little lower than that. So this is kind of what Google's built off of. Now, Google's really not looking at page rank as much, nearly as much as they're used to. It's kind of become a, a minor ranking factor with all the other ranking factors they have and, and uh, how advanced they become. But it's still important to make sure the website, any website is going to have an internal linking structure that's optimized, that makes it easy for search engines to crawl all the pages and index them. And you know, when Google's crawling a website, they're going to look at the website from a user's perspective. If you have pages that are very far from the homepage that it's hard for users to get to, search engines like Google are going to think maybe that page isn't very important. So when we do internal linking, we want to make sure our target pages that we want to rank well are as close to the homepage, but are also getting links from some of our other most linked to pages to increase the page rank for those types of pages. So we hadn't planned on this, but I'd love to do something kind of right off the bat. Talk about kind of some older techniques, maybe things that were out there related to link juice, page rank, all these different aspects that might be a little bit antiquated and see if they are or if they're still relevant. So I'll just throw a few out there and maybe you can give me a kind yeah, of a real sure. quick. This is still important or, and it's kind of gone the way of the dodo. So sitemaps. So sitemaps are great for get, making sure your entire website's crawled and it's getting to all your pages, but it's not going to have any impact on your rankings. So if now in 2017, it's, it's really not that important to have a sitemap, but just as a best practice to have all your bases covered, I'd still recommend it. What about PageRank? You kind of touched on that, like the metric. Like I remember, maybe I've just changed what I look at. But two years ago, I'd look at PageRank for everything. Like when we were, you know, vetting new applicants for the e-commerce field community, PageRank was something we we looked at all the time. It wasn't the. I mean, there's great stores that don't have any PageRank, and you know, and that can grow with paid advertising, and so they don't have to be have a big SEO presence. But if you got someone who's got, let's say, a, a PR four, PR five e-commerce store, that's a, probably a fairly in, good indication that. They're most likely, maybe they're really good at black hat stuff, but more, more than likely they're, they're, they probably are doing something right, you know, in the e-commerce world. So is PageRank still a metric that 
like serious SEOs look at or because it doesn't get updated enough and you've got other metrics like maybe domain authority and, and other proprietary ones is kind of faded away. Yeah, you got it. Uh, PageRank was basically the, you know, the, the number one be all metric in the early days of SEO. And then Google stopped updating as much. They only updated it maybe three or four times a year. And then, then they just stopped updating it completely. So right now PageRank isn't used or talked about at all. The metrics that everyone is using these days is page authority and domain authority. So page authority is is pretty close to page rank. It's looking at how authoritative is a page based off the number and quality of links going to that page. And then domain authority is just looking at the exact same thing, but on a domain level basis instead of just one page. And those are those are kind of metrics that, that Moz puts out. Is that right? Yeah, th- those come from Moz. And then Ahrefs has its Ahrefs has its own metrics. They use domain rating and URL rating, which is essentially the same thing. Is it just me, or is the the browser plugin for Moz horrifically buggy and never works and takes forever to give you those metrics? Am I just having bad experiences with that, or is that something you've seen too? I've had the exact same thing happen to me. So I okay. used to use Firefox, <laughs> and there. The, the, I think what happened is it, it stopped getting supported on Firefox. And I, last time I checked on their site, that you can't even download it for Firefox anymore. And then they have it for Chrome, which works pretty good, but it's not as good as it used to be. It, it just seems super buggy, which surprises me that it, that it's been buggy that long. Right. What about PageRank sculpting? I'm going to kind of get maybe geeky here for, for, for old school SEOs. Back in the day... There was kind of this idea that PageRank would kind of work. The analogy people would use a lot is PageRank would work kind of like water into a bucket. So if you can envision a bucket and the bucket is, you know, the, the any given page on the internet and the PageRank that you have coming in, i.e. the links you have coming in are like water being poured in that bucket. The more links that you have or i.e. holes in the bucket you have, the more you dilute where that PageRank can flow. So if you've got a ton of PageRank coming into one page, and you only have one outbound link, it all gets funneled through that outbound link. If you have 100 outbound links, then it gets diluted through all of those. And, and people would spend, myself included, a lot of time like intricately shaping the, the links on their website and, and agonizing over how many links to put and you know, using no follows, which you know, supposedly wouldn't let link travel through there and save your page rank. Is that something that people still do? It seems like a little bit, but that's kind of what we're doing and in a way, with some of the internal linking strategies that, that you've been doing that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, but it also seems like it's, it's, it's something kind of from a bygone era and, and isn't as effective. Yeah, it, it's funny because today, you know, Google will say page rank sculpting doesn't work. It doesn't exist. It, don't even worry about it. Now, if you ask a lot of SEOs that have done tests around this, they say, well, it, it still helps. It can still be used to improve your rankings. So what, what I've seen just with my own e-commerce clients is it's it's one of those things where you don't have to go crazy like, you know, how many links are on this page? Do, which ones do we have to know follow? Do we have to put these links in an iframe so they can't be crawled? It's more about just making sure that the pages on your website that have lots of links, that you're linking from those pages to other pages that you're trying to rank for. So there's the, the, the general principle is, is still beneficial, but I think going out of your way to, you know, no follow links or put links in an iframe is a little bit excessive. Yeah. Oh, great. Thanks. Maybe we can jump into the process. So like I mentioned, you've been, you've been graciously helping me with a lot of kind of optimization work on the, the e-commerce fuel site. Specifically today, like I mentioned, we'll talk about internal linking. So can you maybe walk us through, myself included, the process you've gone through on an internal linking basis to try to increase 
increase the traffic overall, but very specifically, there's about a dozen pages that we're trying to rank more effectively for. So can you walk us through that process? Yeah, so like you mentioned, there's about a dozen pages we're really trying to push up. And these are pages that we've identified in the past few weeks that have lots of potential search volume. So the keywords that we're targeting on these pages are being searched very often, but they're also the type of keywords that we want to rank for that's going to bring in the right type of traffic. You know, go, just taking a step back, if someone's searching what is drop shipping, they might not be the best candidate for the forum, but if they're searching something like how to get reviews on Amazon, you know, that's, that's the right type of traffic we want to bring in. So the exercise that we did before was finding those target pages. There's about 10 or 12 of them. And then what we did with the internal linking is I went through the site and looked at all the pages by links. So I wanted to see which pages on the website have the most linking root domains. That's just the number of other websites that are, are linking to your site. And do you mind if I, just to clarify, so you're not, this is totally unrelated to the pages we're trying to boost the rankings for. You're looking at the entire list of, let's say, 300 pages on e-commerce fuel, or this could go for any e-commerce website for that matter, and say, which one of those you know, pages across the whole site has the most links coming to it from other domains? Exactly. So there's essentially two lists we're working with. One list is which pages are we targeting? And then another list is which pages have the most links? And for the page with the most links, there's a few tools you can use. There's Ahrefs, Moz, and Majestic. I like to use Ahrefs just because they have a very large link index and you get lots of great data. And what, what I did is going page by page, you know, finding pages that have the most links and adding links to some of our target pages whenever possible. So, you know, if I, if I saw that an article mentioned a website migration, I might link to the website migration article. And I did this exercise across any pages that had a significant amount of links. And what that's going to do is once Google see those links, it's going to move some of that link value to the target page and it's going to have a higher chance of ranking in Google. How do you know how, how much to do that? So for example, let's say, let's use the website migration page. So website migration was a page that we identified as one that, that we wanted to rank better for. And so it's one we're trying to boost up in, in the rankings. And we have a, you know, kind of a, let's call it our arsenal of 40 pages that have a decent number of inbound links that kind of have link juice to share. And so, like you mentioned, I'm kind of repeating maybe more than I need to, but you're going to be from those, a number of those 40 pages linking to the website migration page. How do you know two things? One, how do you know how many pages to link to? Can you overdo it? Like if you do it, obviously you, do it for, you don't want to do it for 40 or 40 pages, it's probably going to have diminishing returns and or be counterproductive. But how do you know how many pages internal links to create? And then secondly, what do you, what's your philosophy for, for using the anchor text to link to that? Do you supernatural? Do you try to work in the keyword with some natural you know, language in front and behind it? Maybe, maybe if you could touch on those two. Yeah, so as far as anchor text goes, I'm usually not too concerned about making sure the keyword's in there just because it's it's been abused so much in recent years that it's very likely Google's not using it as strong of a signal as it used to. And also, my personal opinion is I think Google's become a lot more advanced at understanding what a page is about. So if it can you know, crawl the content of a page and kind of assess like, all right, this page is about you know, XYZ, and you have a link from that page to the migration page, I think it will it will know just on a topical level if that's relevant or not. So I think it's relying less on anchor text and using some more advanced things such as you know the general focus of the page. And then your first question was about how many pages should you link to? Is it, do, you, do you ever want to go overboard? And I think this goes back to you know the initial page rank patent that, that made Google what it is, where essentially the more pages you're linking to, 
the less link juice, link juice flows to each page. And, and while it's, it's not as important of an issue as it used to be with page rank sculpting, I think in general, the, the general principle still applies. So you know, I found you know, 5 to 10 is probably a good sweet spot. If you go you know, 10 to 20, now it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because you're going to have so many outbound links. Yeah, I, that's what I'd usually recommend is you know, anything below 10, you're more than fine. So now are you saying, when you say below 10, do you mean 10, below 10 links on a page that you're linking out to those pages you're trying to boost? Or do you mean 10 independent links across our entire arsenal to that website migration page? Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, so j- just to clarify, you know, in general, the, the more links you have, the, the less link juice is going to go to each page. So if you have an article that has lots of links to it, you know, I'd say within the article, you probably don't want to link have more than 10 internal links and anything past that it's just going to dilute the value of each link more and more guy yeah, perfect so sounds like is that that's pretty much the process right there is there anything we're missing yeah that's that's the general process there's a few common opportunities for e-commerce sites and, and blogs if you want me to touch on that real quick yeah of course so you know, I've looked at a lot of e-commerce sites, and in general, there's just a few places where people miss these you know, massive internal linking opportunities. One of them is the linking to your most important products from the homepage. And when I say most important, that could be your best-selling products, that could be products with the highest margin. But from an SEO perspective, we really want to look at products that are searched the most. And you know, one way you can do this is have a section on the homepage called Featured Products, or, or best sellers, or whatever you want to call it, and then linking to maybe four to eight of your you know, most searched products can really have a good impact on rankings for those pages. That's one thing that works really well. And then another thing is adding links to related products on the product pages themselves. And this is you know very helpful for sites that have you know hundreds or even thousands of products and SKUs, where it might be hard for Google to to crawl and index all these products and has to go way deep within the website. Well, if you have these related links on your product pages, that can really help with your internal linking and, and make sure the link juice is flowing throughout your whole site. Interesting. What about, one thing we were talking about was common opportunities for, you know, either for blogs, standalone blogs, or if you've got a blog, let's say on your e-commerce site. Yeah, so similar with e-commerce sites, with blogs, we want to make sure that we have our most important articles on the blog sidebar. So this could be, when I say most important, again, from from an SEO perspective, this is usually going to be the blog posts that are targeting keywords with lots of search volume, where there's really lots of SEO value and, and potential traffic to come to your site if these articles are ranking well. So whatever your top most important articles are that have that high search volume, you want to add links to them on the blog sidebar. That's just going to send more internal link juice to those pages and make it easier for them to rank, and bring in more traffic. Another opportunity is to link to related articles at the bottom of blog posts. So similar to what we discussed with products, how you want to link to related products, same things for blog posts. If you have you know, dozens or hundreds or even thousands of blog, blog posts, having these links to related articles help spread the, the flow of link juice throughout your website and improve your internal linking. And then another recommendation is also just to link to your most important articles from the homepage. So if you can do those three things, and it's really going to have a big impact on the rankings for your articles. And if you have some articles that are targeting keywords with high search volume, it can be a great way to bring in more traffic to your website. So I want to talk about a few handful of other technical SEO issues that, that people want to know about in terms of making sure they're getting them right. But maybe before we dive into those, what tools would you recommend for 
for being able to analyze technical issues. Like I know Moz, again, I'm a Moz boy. I just I haven't used a whole lot else, which is, is, is <laughs> something I need to diversify on. But they've got the, you know, they've got a tool that will go crawl your whole website, give you a bunch of reports and say, hey, here's some of the technical issues that, you know, things look good or you need to make these fixes. What, without mentioning maybe the specifics, which we'll get into in just a second, what tools do you recommend for analyzing, kind of diagnosing and, and being able to identify and fix technical issues on a site? Yeah, I'd say if, if you're a beginner and you don't know a whole lot about SEO, Moz is going to be a great place to start. It's it's very user-friendly. They can find lots of opportunities. They can prioritize you know, which opportunities really matter, which are just kind of nice to have things. So Moz is, is a great place. It's, it's meant for business owners that aren't SEO experts, and it works really well for that. Surprisingly, Bing Webmaster Tools actually has a lot of great information for people that are looking for fixing technical issues on the website. So Bing Webmaster Tools is another place I'd recommend looking at. It has even more information than, than Google Webmaster Tools, which is now called Google Search Console, in my opinion. And then if, you have a little, if you're a little more on the technical side and, and you're comfortable kind of with SEO to some degree, my two favorite tools are Xenu and Screaming Frog. These are website crawlers where you can just plug in your, your homepage and it's going to crawl every single page in your website. Screaming Frog, I think, will let you crawl up to 500 URLs for free. And then if you want a full site crawl, it's like $100 a year or something like that. And it will tell you any issues with you know, you know, crawling issues, duplicate content, basically any, anything and everything, it will find and, and help you. So that's going to give you lots of great information. But yeah, if you're just starting out, I'd say... Moz is a great place to start. And then, you know, Bing Webmaster Tools also has some great information. And Xenu is X-E-N-U, correct? That's how you spell that? X-E-N-U, right. Got it. All right, so let's maybe some dive into some, some actual technical issues apart from internal linking people should be thinking about. So first one, 404 errors. How big of a deal is this? And I'm guessing you could spot those with it. one of those tools you mentioned. How problematic can they be? And 404 errors, just to clarify for people who don't know, I think most people probably do, but it's when you have a, a link that's broken and you, you can't find the page. Yeah, 404 errors. Here's the thing. If, if you just have a few on your website, if it's just a small portion, then that's really not going to have any impact on your rankings. But if, if there's a, a, large, a significant portion of your website, like you know 5%, 10%, or you know, anything above 10%, that that could start to have a negative impact on your rankings, just because you know Google is going to spend all its resources crawling your website. If it keeps coming to pages that have 404 issues and, and they're not found, you know, that's going to be provide it's going to provide a, a poor experience for the user. So you know if it's just a few pages here and there, you have nothing to worry about. But if it starts to become a bit excessive, then that's when you're going to run into some issues. What about the level of content or people not having enough content on category pages, like it? Been time in the past, category pages are hard to put content on because a lot of times, especially in the e-commerce world, they're just pictures of things. You feel like you're trying to make up content. You got to worry about the content pushing the products down the page, and then kind of this all sorts of issues that only only e-commerce store owners would appreciate. But is that an issue if you don't have enough content on the category pages and it's just just those images and links over to the products? Yeah, you know, Google has gotten better at understanding what a page is about, but one thing it still relies on a lot is just contextual content on a page. Just having some some body copy can have a big impact on ranking. So I, I always recommend, I've seen this firsthand, and I'm sure a lot of SEOs out there have seen that firsthand, but just have, if you have a category page with no content, and then you add, you know, around 100 words of content, that can have a noticeable impact on rankings. 
And if you're trying to, you know, rack your brain for what am I going to put in this content? Well, you know, one thing that makes it easy is talking about the value propositions of, of your store or maybe the benefits of the product. You can talk about who's it's for, who it's for, how it can be used. So, you know, there are, there are ways to use content to your advantage and, you know, that, that can help a lot. Also, one thing, one question people ask is, you know, if I have too much content, is that going to push my products down and result in a lower conversion rate and poor user experience? Well, there's a few, way, a few ways to get around this. You know, you can put content at the bottom of the page, although that won't have as strong of an impact on rankings as it would at the top of the page. So what I find works really well is maybe show a few lines of your content and then have a read more button that will expand the content to show everything. Nice. Yeah, that's what we used to do at Right Channel Radios and, and just, just two lines to tempt people. And then, because then if, if you have it totally hidden, you can get in trouble with Google, right? Like technically you could get in trouble with Google, but the read more is kind of a way where you don't have to show it all. You're not going to get penalized by them for trying to be sneaky, but you can kind of balance the UX with the SEO. Yep, that's exactly it. Cool. Uh, what about duplicate content on product pages? So this used to be much bigger issue, you know, five years ago, back in 2011, when the Panda update came out and all these e-commerce sites were getting penalized for having duplicate content. And all that duplicate content was coming from the product pages because a lot of e-commerce sites are just using whatever the manufacturer puts. Because if you have hundreds or thousands of products, it just really doesn't make sense to rewrite every single one. So rather than doing that, they would just put the generic manufacturer's product description just like everybody else. So everyone looked like they had duplicate content. Everyone got penalized. Well, the Google Sense reworked their Panda algorithm, so you don't have to worry about getting penalized for having you know, the manufacturer's default product descriptions. But where it can be an issue is you're really not going to rank very well if you have the same content as everyone else out there that you're competing with. So if, if Google sees 10 stores that have you know, the same product and has the same product copy, but one of those stores has taken the time to rewrite the content and make it unique, that one store is most likely going to outrank the other ones. So I never recommend rewriting every single product page on your website just because you're going to spend so much time and energy and money and the lift that you get from that probably won't be worth it. But what I do recommend is apply the 80-20 rule or even the 90-10 rule here and, and take the top 10 to 20% of your products that are driving you know 80 to 90% of the traffic and those are the ones that you go on, you're going to want to rewrite and put time into and that's just going to... you know be a, a little more scalable way of, of increasing your, your traffic and your rankings rather than writing everything from scratch. What about duplicate content in terms of, of category pages where you've got especially filterable ones where people can come in and filter based on you know, size or color or something like that? And for, for a while, for, for quite a while, it seemed like Google potentially could, could, could ding you for that because it would generate, you know, let's say, 20 different URLs based on the parameters put in different URLs with very similar content. Is that something Google's gotten smarter about now or do you still have to make sure that you're careful with that and you've got a canonical tag on there? I'd like to say that Google's gotten smarter about it, but it really hasn't. So many times you see all these duplicate category URLs getting indexed. So for example, on a lot of e-commerce sites, you have the ability to sort and filter your results. You can also show the number of products per page, whether it's you know 20 or 30 or 40. So most of the time, let's say you change it from showing 20 products per page to 30 products per page. Well, that could change the URL and add a little parameter that might say something like show equals 30. Or maybe you want to sort alphabetically, or maybe you want to you know, sort by manufacturer. So all these little 
sorting and filtering parameters that you have are changing the URL, but essentially it's the same page. Well, even though to you and me, we know it's the same category page, every time the URL changes, Google's seeing that as an entirely new page. So you have all these pages that could have the same content, and it's basically diluting the focus of your website within Google's index. And you have all these low-quality pages that aren't providing any additional value search engine. So the solution here is using something that's called the canonical tag. And it's just one piece of code that goes in the source. You'll probably need to work with a developer to implement this, but it's, it's a very easy fix for, for most developers out there. And what that's going to do is tell Google which URL is the main URL. And that's going to be the URL that doesn't have all these sorting or filtering parameters. And that's going to clean up all this duplicate content on your category pages. It's actually a good, good segue, I think, into to talking about which platforms are really SEO friendly and have this stuff built in because something like that, I mean, you can go in and hack your, your shopping cart. Maybe if it's open source, if it's hosted, you're not going to be able to, you're kind of stuck with it unless you yep. can, you know, hound the developers there and get them to do the fix on their side. So, so which platforms maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do the good and the ugly. Which ones are the most SEO friendly in your opinion in terms of shopping carts? So the, I've had my own e-commerce sites, you know, drop shipping sites, and I've also worked with, you know, a whole bunch of different e-commerce clients on SEO. So I've had a chance to touch a lot of different e-commerce carts and my favorite cart hands down is Shopify. They've invested a lot to make it very SEO friendly. It has lots of great features. There's really not that many technical issues. So if you get Shopify, you you really don't have to worry about having this whole in-depth SEO audit or or diagnostics. It's still beneficial, but out of the box, Shopify is very SEO friendly. So that's going to be my all-time favorite. Number two is going to be Magento. So with a little asterisk after the end of that statement. So Magento out of the box is okay. It's still got ways to go, but there's a extension for Magento called Mageworks SEO. And what that does is it basically cleans up all the technical issues that Magento has, or at least nearly all of it. So if you have Magento and then you install the Mageworks SEO extension, which I think is like $150 or $200 around there, that's going to clean up a lot of these technical SEO issues and make Magento a very SEO-friendly platform. And then the third on this list would be OpenCart. This is what I used for all my own personal sites. It's very SEO-friendly, has lots of SEO capabilities and features. So that's a personal favorite of mine. So those would be my top three most SEO-friendly e-commerce platforms. And on the flip side, who can you just strike down with lightning from above in terms of how horrific their SEO is? Yahoo stores. I, I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't be <laughs> Yahoo stores. <laughs> if, if, if you're on Yahoo stores, it's time to move. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's just in general, not necessarily related to SEO. Yeah, gosh, it's you know, it was great at one point in time, but that point in time has been long gone. Awesome. So Yahoo stores. Anyone else that specifically? And I, and I, I sound terrible. I shouldn't take so much joy in, in but, uh, <laughs> carts that have bad SEO structures. But anyone else that. People need to be really careful if they're on that platform and just stay away from. Yeah, it's every single platform. Yeah, it has its faults, and you can usually get past it with the good developers. So you know, a lot of the open source platforms, they might be bad out of the box, but pretty much anything is possible. The reason I just don't like Yahoo Stores is because I think since they kind of control it and they're hosting it, you're much more limited on on what you can and can't do. So not only do you have a, a, a not the best platform, but you don't have much you can do about it. What about the hosted ones where you can't, there's nothing you can change. So I'll maybe just name the three most popular ones, say BigCommerce, Volusion, and let's say maybe SparkPay. 
So I haven't used SparkPay, so I can't speak to that. Volusion, last I checked, they really weren't that SEO friendly. I don't know if they've made any changes to their platform since, but they were using a very outdated technology, which is Microsoft.net, all those .asp URLs. And and unless they've changed something drastically recently, it it wasn't a good platform last I checked. So I'd recommend staying away from Volusion. And if you're thinking about Volusion, going with Shopify. And BigCommerce is pretty good. I don't have anything bad to say about BigCommerce. It's it's a pretty solid platform too. Awesome. Jeff, well, this has been... This has been great. We're going to do a follow-up case study on this to, to kind of tie this all together and, and talk about if, you know, how, how it helped this kind of, you know, multi-week process that Jeff and I've been, been going through, if it actually makes a difference, you know, so we'll, we'll show you the pages we're trying to optimize for and, and the before traffic, the after traffic and, and let you know what kind of impact, if any, this had. So if you're listening and you've got an e-commerce store and you need some e-commerce SEO help, Jeff's your man. He's probably say he's pretty safe bet to say he's probably the most well-reviewed SEO in the e-commerce private community in our service provider directory there. So give him a shout. 180, that's the number 180, marketing.com is how you can get in touch with him. And Jeff, getting getting excited to you, of course, like we mentioned last time, just launched linkhunter.com for link outreach and managing kind of linking campaigns and SEO campaigns when you're reaching out to people. And you've got a big push for that coming up the next couple of weeks, yeah? Yeah, it's you can actually check it out and sign up now. It's linkhunter.com. We're doing a big push in the next month or two, adding some more features and making some tweaks to make it even better. So basically, I've taken all my knowledge about link building and put it into a do-it-yourself link building platform. So it's going to be much more financially feasible and get much better results. Very cool. And I love the name too, because the name you kind of crowdsourced it in the community, right? Like, didn't you ask to propose a bunch of names and have people vote on them? Yeah, we had, we had a few names like Link Hunter, Linkify, Link Easy, and, and Link Hunter was hands down the most popular. So that's the one I went with. Yeah, a good call, man. I like that name. It's a great name. Well, Jeff, thank you so much, sir. We'll be following up with a case study once we give this some time to kind of you know marinate and, and Google to get to work. And I appreciate all your work and you taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Thanks again for having me. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight-knit, vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.